Into the wild I'll go and into the wild I am It's been a while, freedom child Since I left my roots back home Into the wild I'll go Into the wild I am It's been a while, freedom child Since I left my roots back home Welcome to the Free Birth Society podcast. This is a radical space for women who are ready to celebrate their autonomous choices in birth, motherhood, and beyond. Together, we'll learn about wild birth through personal narrative, we'll explore the politics of birth, and we'll analyze everything that relates to our lives as women from a feminist perspective. Here's your host, Emily Saldea. It's been a wild freedom What if I told you that there was an underground, global community of badass women all swapping wisdom, witnessing and supporting each other in total reverence, and birthing their babes entirely outside of the medical system? What if I told you that there was a vetted, private, exclusive space where you could access my personal list of radical birth keepers? And what if I told you that it's off Facebook, it's troll-free, and where most of the women on this podcast are hanging out. If you're in alignment with what we talk about here on the podcast, it's a pretty sure bet that our private community wants you in it. We have 11 monthly circles and workshops virtually, and also have a member directory so that you can find women in your local community too. And this isn't just for mothers. This is for the wild-hearted, radical woman who is interested in consciousness raising, questioning the systems that harm us, living sovereign, holistic lifestyles, and wants to create community to guide our way back to healed sisterhood. Go to freebirthsociety.com and apply today. I'll see you in there. My brilliant friend Amy joins me this week on the show, sharing her five birth stories. Amy is full of rich insights about her journey through motherhood as a radical feminist. Amy speaks honestly about the victim consciousness she lived in and how she gave away her power time and time again. It was in learning to fully trust women and therefore herself that Amy was finally able to shed the last layers of doubt and internalized misogyny, which made way for her to claim her deepest desire to give birth and catch her baby all on her own. Her psychedelic postpartum reminds us of the physiology of transformation inherent to birth and the pure bliss that we have access to when we are liberated as women. This is a really special episode. Enjoy. Hey, Hi. I'm so excited. I know, me too. I feel like I've been trying to get you to do this with me. <laughs> How old is Gilda? 
three and okay so for three years (laughs) yeah yeah and I'm like maybe next like let me let me just move seven more times yeah no it's been a crazy yeah it's just and now I'm like it's time we're not unpacked here but I have a space I love it yeah I'm really excited you know I know bits and pieces and you and I became friends um, well, I guess it was at the beginning of Gilda's pregnancy mm-hmm. right. really, the beginning. Mm-hmm. when we started talking and, um, yeah, so let's just kick it off wherever you want to start. Gilda was your fifth baby. So, mm-hmm. um, who are you? Gosh, how many years ago? How old is your oldest? So my oldest turned 17 in a, uh, less than a week. Amazing. And, um, I'm Amy mother of five. I've been pregnant seven times, um, two miscarriages and, been married for almost 20 years that's like mind-blowing my first son was born I was 22 and yeah his birth this is actually really interesting I didn't know um, anything about free birth back then it was called unassisted birth I think due to Laura Shanley's book mm-hmm. this is like I got pregnant accidentally in 2005 um, my boyfriend now husband and I were off and on Mm. I was actually on my way to work at a farm in Maine when I found out I was pregnant. So came back to Texas, tried to, you know, I didn't know anyone like in my peer group that had a baby. All the women that I knew that had children, even young children were more like skewing toward my mom's friends, like women I loved, but not anyone that I could relate to. And so, but I just knew that I wasn't going to give birth on drugs. I don't know how I look back at all these things and I feel so more than lucky, like blessed intuitively, like in a spiritual sense, like I didn't circumcise him, all the things that could have happened because I was 22 and didn't know what I was doing with my life. I just knew certain things weren't going to happen. And I didn't, you know, I actually didn't even have a computer. I didn't have the internet. It's like back in the dark ages. Back in 1925. Yeah. (laughs) So I didn't, you know what I mean? It wasn't like now where you can research every decision for three weeks. It's like, well, there's, there's women free birthing off of hashtags, like meaning learning about free birth hashtags, like how, how amazing what's available today. Right. No, it's a total, it's, and that's, I think what helped me, or I know was finding you anyway, we'll get there. I, so I was pregnant with Leigh, who was almost 17 and my mom, I went to my mom's OBGYN and it felt, you know, I told her, um, oh, I want a natural birth. And she's like, ha 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 ha. You don't have to do that. You know, um, like silly, silly girl, you know, why would you do that to yourself? And um, so then I was like, hmm, maybe I don't want like an OB. So then I found, oh, I, we were, you know, on oh, is it Medicaid then. So I didn't, we just like, didn't have any money. Um, so I found a C- CPM, a CNM through like nurse midwife through the hospital. So that was really exciting. I think I was six or seven months when I transferred care, but I'd probably only gone to two OB appointments. And, uh, then I found a doula through this nonprofit And what's so interesting is I started reading like spiritual midwifery, which the pictures, you know, are, I just want to frame all of them. The pictures are what blows me away about that book. And I, I asked my doula because I felt this really deep connection with her. She was probably like my age now, mid to late thirties. I'm 39. And I just felt this maternal, but not grandmotherly love. And she'd had two or three undrugged births and was just, she had this great energy. And I actually asked her in this really naive way. 2005 2006 could you just come to my apartment in Austin Mm -hmm. and like because I'd actually had a dream that she was there witnessing me 
And she kind of cried and was like, I wish I could, but I just, of course I can't, right? Isn't that interesting? I keep, I go, I just hearken back to that all the time. Like that's what my soul wanted. I wanted, I felt safe with her. I had this boyfriend. I'm like, that's enough. You know what I mean? Um, but I ended up giving birth in the hospital. I, I feel like I got really lucky because I got there about an hour before Laith was born. All the things that needed to happen. Wow you know, like happened. Cause I know hospital births of course can go really wrong. And just the older I get and the more birth stories I hear. And I was a conventional doula for a while um, for gosh, five years maybe. And so I witnessed just a lot of abuse. Like all of us who've been in that world have, I'm just like, oh my God, the stars just aligned for me not to experience explicit abuse mm -hmm. and to be able to give birth undrugged. Like, obviously it wasn't physiological, but I got there. They were, I was in triage for a while. They're like, maybe you're not in labor. My doula was like, she was great. She's like, of course, of course you're in labor. Like, what's going on? You know? Cause I was oh, just, um, and they, they checked me. I was four. It's like, what else would it be? Why am I acting <laughs> like, like, yeah, like What else <laughs> is it? <laughs> yeah. And my doula gave me, I've never used them in any other birth, but she gave me these combs. Have you heard of this? And you, yeah. you hold them. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure it really did anything for me except the psychological feeling of, um, cause I was tensing. And so I was able, I like did this dance with these combs for about an hour before, <laughs> before he emerged. Um, so they like gave me a room, they checked me and they're like, you're only a four, but this place, like at this point, I didn't care what for, I was so on the birth journey that I didn't care about anything. I refused the gown. Um, and what's so the thing that I remember the most about this birth is, well, my husband actually got sick. Like he had to go, he was like throwing up. Oh my God. Not in front of me, but I think he was like, you know, a 21 year old boy who's like, I don't know what's about to happen to my life. So he went white. So my doula actually went downstairs with him to like a bathroom to help him, which was great because I prefer to be alone anyway. And so that's just a funny part of the story is that- So like it was the fear, it, it was fear induced sickness. He, he didn't have like a stomach bug? No, oh no, 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 no. And I wasn't even, there were no fluids. I wasn't naked. I was wearing like my civvies, like my street clothes. You know, there was no hospital -y. Yes, there was a hospital vibe, but I wasn't like in a gown mm -hmm. spread legged. Like I was standing up with these combs and he just, I think he was just realizing in this sort of having like a psychic Mm -hmm. break <laughs> you know like I'm about to become a father and I'm really you know for women it's like the whole nine to ten month journey and for men sometimes they're like oh this this woman this that I was dating for two years is oh, yeah. crazy and I don't and now it's real so I spent a lot of that birth alone prior to getting to the hospital at um trying to think I won't go into all the details. It was probably like a 14 hour process, just like quote unquote textbook, you know? And I was just alone for most of it, got to the hospital. My doula and Zach went away to deal with, you know, whatever. It was the psychic going break. The psychic break, <laughs> yeah. And um, so I had this nurse named Kim. This is another lucky thing where she's like supposed to be putting the, whatever, the heart monitors on me. She's supposed to check me, yada, yada. And I remember she was like, just lay on the bed. I'll write seven. You see what I'm talking about? Like, oh. like she didn't, or she put the monitors on me and I'd push them away and she'd say, it looks great. Like she was just, I really still have a lot of love for her. Cause she knew like this train is coming and we're just going to pretend like nobody else was in there. 
And then I started, um, I do looking back, I remember I, I held on to her at one point and said, um, actually like, I, I was starting to kind of go out of my mind and I was like, oh, I'd actually want like a C-section. This is in my mind. Um, I was feeling like a train moving through my body. That's the, you know, I was 22, just that. I felt like I'd learned to ride the waves and that's still my favorite part of the birth process. But whenever your baby's emerging, at least for me, I'm like, oh, there's no, there's no like, oh, like I'm surfing. It's like you surrender and that's all, <laughs> you know? And I remember that's what I said to my doula, Jackie. I said, something's changed. And so she got up and hugged me and I bit her, but I still the presence of mind not to like make her bleed, but I just remember feeling so animal, like holding on. And then I said, I, I don't want to do this anymore. And she's like, well, here we are. And I remember hoping this is so psychotic, like something was wrong. I was like, hopefully <laughs> something's wrong so they can just wheel me away and like knock me out. Totally. You know, it was just, I'd never felt that, that sensation. And, um, so the CPM comes in, they try to get me on my back, you know, um, CNM, keep saying that. And also like 12 other people came in. I'm not even joking. Yeah. And I have friends that work in nursing and just in that industry. And I think they don't see undrugged births like at all. No. And so the, all of these, it was just, it was like an avant-garde film. Because mm -hmm. I was actually in a pretty good mood. And I, I mean, of course, I would never want to have a birth like that again. But it, at the time, it didn't disturb me because I was so like on my own drugs. I was just like, is this even happening? And they introduced themselves, I guess, trying to be respectful. And um, at this point, my waters had just like burst everywhere. And so I'm wearing like a little t-shirt, but my doula helped like take my pants off. And um, so I was like, oh yeah, I'm Amy, like nice to meet you. Just really trippy. I mean, you know, that's what happens in hospitals. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, I'm, I'm Joseph, I'm a resident. And I'm like, oh, hello, what? Just yeah. felt like a 60s avant-garde film. So they try multiple times to put me on my back and I just can't do it. Like my body won't let me do it. So the CPM kind of like rolls her eyes and gets a footstool, like a janitor's footstool. And she's like, kind of has an attitude about it. Like, I'll just sit down here and like catch your baby. Um, Cause I really couldn't do it. They would have had to like abuse me, manhandle me. And um, so Laith emerged and I just thought he was screaming. And I thought like, I couldn't even wrap my mind around it being so young and having not planned it's just like this purple screaming creature. I just couldn't believe he was mine. I was a little bit nervous. Like, I don't know how to make him be okay. Like he's this squirm and he was very just like healthy and vibrant. And um, so they helped me to the bed. And the thing that I remember is when I was pregnant, I would, see, I would sing the Joni Mitchell song to him. I am on a lonely road and I am traveling. And, and this is why you should not give birth with strangers, but I felt, I wanted to sing it to yeah. him and I felt so embarrassed but I did it anyway oh and like the whole room got quiet and he stopped crying and like I took my shirt off and I was able to like bring him to my body and so that was that but I you know it's like I was a different woman like I I mean I was high for years after that birth I'm not joking you know what I mean like just yeah. the power I loved every second truly of mothering him being up late. You know, you're, when you have your first baby, you're not, you're, you're like, what? I have to wake up all the time. Like your body is so not used to that. The teething, but I just, I never felt prouder of mm. anything in my life. And so like the sleep deprivation and that I think hospital birth is so far from ideal. And I got really lucky in a lot of ways because I don't have any sort of like 
actually traumatic. You know, I did have to fight for him to be in my room and all this, the bullshit, but I, it wasn't like anybody birth raped me. Well, I did get checked, but you, you understand what I'm saying. It wasn't, it could have been worse, but it, I also heard yeah. you say they tried to force me onto my back several times. Yeah. Like, they tried to force me, you know, maybe in what any I'm other, to... in any other circumstance, if it's just people rape. tried to force yeah. me on my back, you know, it's, it's interesting. Like the tolerance we have for birth mm-hmm. in our culture. And because, and in a way how we gaslight ourselves out of, you, you, like, because the spectrum is so bad. Right. You did get lucky. We both know you got lucky and it was still, this is where I think a lot of women get, um, uh, what's the right word? I don't know what the right word is. I don't know if it's confused or stuck or what, like it's complicated because yeah, we hear this story and it's like, yeah, that was like pretty good for a hospital birth. For like the center of abuse for the center yeah it's like pretty good thank god and that that high for years and like that your body really did it in spite of all the disruption and and meeting your baby it's all just so complex at the center where abuse of mother babies you know is ritualized and incorporated into the whole thing and maybe that was my point is just that the 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 spiritual high and like alchemization or transformation inherent in birth is so resilient Yeah, that um, even then I was high for years. Yeah. You know that's what I mean? Just, it. you know, th- and that's actually what I, what I really took away from that birth, especially as I started to learn more about physiological birth is that w- like women were, give- were given such a gift if we're willing to take it because when you give birth, undrugged as like the lowest baseline ever you know I still felt like a different person I never felt more powerful I never felt more grateful I just felt like the veil had been like this curtain in my life had been moved and I felt so purposeful and nursing a baby like tending to a baby nursing a baby and as you said really loving it is a pretty pretty powerful transitional phase or you know in a woman yeah and nobody told me and that's the thing that you know in that's the greatest secret you like nobody told me they were like oh you know breastfeeding so hard and like you better get that epidural there's no metal and your life's never going to be the same it's awful and Mm -hmm. you're going to want to go back you know I was like a college dropout you're going to want to go back to school I mean I knew I wasn't going to do any of that I had this baby it's just like I'm never leaving him people don't like what what nobody told me Nobody told me it'd be like this. So, um, you know, my husband and I, we got pregnant again and we had, see, I gave birth to his brother, Bela, about two years later, we were living on a farm and that was great because it was a home birth. Um, the midwife was like an old country midwife. She didn't come again until about an hour before mm. he emerged. But um, that birth, she, you know, she thought I was hemorrhaging. So this whole, th- right. So he, he was born in like a little target, like kiddie pool that um, didn't really get filled up all the way <laughs> because it happened so quickly, you know? So I'm like trying to get my Yoni, <laughs> like, you know, cause I just had it in my mind that it would be better to give birth in water. Like maybe it'd be less intense. So I'm literally like scissoring my legs and like, you know, I'm just like, get the under the water. And I didn't, you know, whatever. So that's sort of funny. I should have just given birth standing up, (laughs) but I just, I'd had like a fixation on water birth. So then after that, we moved to my bed 
and Leif is there. It's like 10 p.m. He's two, and it, it was really great. I had a close friend, a close friend at the time, who was another homesteady kind of mom who was there to kind of keep an eye on Leif in case you know he was naked and like covered in stickers. She was really prepared um, <laughs> to help him do whatever. That's such know. a good idea to just show up with a ton of stickers. That's what she talk. did. That's cute. Two-year-olds are naked all the time, so that's cute. That's what that's what I remember. But she, um, the midwife that I had hired at that time, was like, "Everybody leave the room," and and uh, she she was like, "You're hemorrhaging," so she gave me pit and then methogen. Jeez, right. And then she actually said, "It looks like a murder scene. There's blood oh. everywhere." Yeah. And so I had, you know, Marin Green talks about this. Um, I remember, like I found Indie Birth, I don't know when, 2010 or something about how you sort of get like diagnosed and labeled. And so I had it in my mind, like that was then one of my fears always around unassisted birth is like, oh, I'm a bleeder. I'm a bleeder. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what I want to say actually too about Bela's pregnancy is that I bought Laura Shanley's book at this point. I was like getting into... I, I really, like, I wanted, I was intrigued by the idea of unassisted family birth, but, um, but I also used my husband as, like, a prop to mm. not get what I wanted. You know how women do that, like, like, it's like I wanted him to say no, because <laughs> I wasn't ready, mm. so I'd say, oh, well, I love reading about all this, but, like, Zach, you know, as if I haven't always just done what I wanted, but it's so funny. Well, I appreciate you owning it, because, you know, <laughs> I, I work with women every day around this issue, and, yeah, women, often use their husbands as a excuse for why they can't have what they want. Right. Yeah. And I was totally doing that. And that was fine for me at that moment. I just, I wasn't ready. And, uh, but I was definitely like on the path. I just, again, I still didn't know anyone that had kids my age, much less. Crazy. Just that how fringe can you get, you know, like, am I just so crazy? You already birthed with a farmy farm midwife. Yeah. yeah, I'm like living in the middle of nowhere, like an hour and a half from a hospital. I'm like, now how crazy can you really get this is 2008? So and about the whole hemorrhaging thing, what's amazing to look back on is I felt um, great. So now I understanding physiological, physiological birth is that like the reference for a woman bleeding too much is her. It's always her, right? I had energy. I was like looking at my two-year-old son clearly. I was nursing my newborn, beautiful son the energy in the room was so beautiful to me. Like I was fine. I yeah, was like, I was wasn't, fine. she wasn't fine. She was seeing you have some amount of blood loss and she doesn't know anything about physiological third stage. And she had medical training that teaches her, um, to dis, to, um, untangle the mother from the blood loss, right. Which is mm-hmm. the point you're making. And And when you just see blood and you are medically trained to, you know, do to manage third stage, you know, you get what you get, you get shock and you get methogen. Mm -hmm. And I, and she told me, uh, the, the, the night or two after birth to wake up, you know, or Zach to wake me up every few hours to give me methogen under the tongue. Oh, so she was really freaked out. Really wrapped up in this whole, uh, so yeah, it could have had nothing to do with even what she thought about you at the birth, it could have been, because this is so common, the last birth she was at. I never thought of that. You know, a woman, you know, had some amount of blood and didn't feel good. And maybe she fainted or maybe she, um, you know, whatever. Transfer, who knows, requested transfer. And as soon, you know, so many, so many midwives bring their last births, you know, their, their trauma, right. Mm -hmm. Into 
the next one. And then it paints the next woman's birth, even when it has nothing to do with you. Well, I, yeah, I walked away with the story that she saved my life somehow. I mean, I felt amazing. I remember You're exactly. like, I'm not exactly, it's weird. <laughs> I felt great, but also I was about to die. That's so I was weird. on my deathbed nursing my newborn. <laughs> yeah. And I walked away with this dissonance, you know, like totally. And I was so, I mean, I was 24. I like farmed up until, I mean, I was in such good shape. Like I, not that you should do this, but my parents came then at like, I stayed up till three or 4 a.m. My parents came the next morning. I ran out to greet them. Not that you should ever do that. My point <laughs> is I wasn't about to die. I was not yeah. anemic. Everything was great. I was eating peanut butter toast and drinking apple juice when she's like, everybody clear the room. And I was like, wait, but why? Wow. And that's also that gaslighting, whether it's intentional or not, is so fucked up. Mm. And I, you know, and that's really like zooming out. It's just gaslighting of the mother's experience. And she should, her experience should like take primacy. It should be the. Right. But from the beginning, the whole dynamic is that she's in charge of you and the baby, right? Mm -hmm. so like it, the integrity is out the window as soon as we engage with. Go in for the blood work and you go in yeah, for the face and that. Yeah. It's totally confused. Like she believes, and to some degree you did, that she, her. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Is to. That's why I walked away being like, wow, she saved my life. And like, how confusing is that? Cause I feel so athletic and awesome. And <laughs> so confusing. Yeah, I'm like, that's what almost dying feels like and being anemic, right? I'm not joking, like, oh, I was anemic briefly after a like later miscarriage I had in 2018. And like, that feels like you can't really walk upstairs without catching your breath. So that's actually real. And nobody can project that onto you that you're, that you've lost too much blood. So I had Noni, Eleonora, um, 2010. So just like two years, two years, two years. And her birth was actually one of the, like, Bela's birth was pretty, like, easy, and I was outside for most of it, and, but Noni's birth, it was just so beautiful. Like, it was still a midwife attended, same deal, like, only an hour or two, but I had the tub that I wanted, music playing, like, it was a little more, like, I was more prepared to, like, set the stage. It was dark. She was born at 2 or 3 a.m., mm. and it actually felt easy in my mind. And I had a really close friend there. I, I'd made friends with women by this point that also had children. Um, most of their children were a little younger than mine, but um, a friend of mine came to take photos. And what's so funny when I saw the photos a few weeks later, I, I was like the veins in my neck, I was clearly like yelling, but I had no memory of it because <laughs> it felt so, uh, yeah. you know what I mean? I was like, that was so easy. And I look at the pictures, I was like, damn. <laughs> I was working, you know? Totally. I've, I've projected that onto so many women I've served where I like join them and they're, you know, they look like they're freaking out and they're, they're yeah. and they're red and they're bulging and they're, you know, all this stuff. And I'll be like, how's it going? And they're like, this is great. Right. Right. I'm like, Oh, it is. Okay. Great. Great. It's not what it looked like. <laughs> it's right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like, it was dark. And actually the midwife that I hired was a friend of mine. I was like in the doula world. This is so weird. Okay, so with Noni, I, I was, it's not so weird. I'm sure this happens all the time. I was planning an unassisted birth at this point. And oh. she was my friend. And um, I think I didn't start care with her till after 20 weeks. Um, actually same with Bela, cause we lived in Hawaii and I was just, I'm not a type A person. So I, it's not difficult for me to let go a little. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm not someone that's like, and I need the intravaginal, transvaginal ultrasound and I want all the blood work. Like it's just, even when I was in the medical paradigm, I was a little bit like, I mean, it's probably fine. Mm -hmm. So um, 
yeah, I hired her because she, I remember she was like, you need a birth guardian to make sure you're safe, you know? And again, I wasn't quite ready. Like I could put that off on her, but I was like, oh, that feels good. You know, Anna, and I liked her a lot. And then actually I told her, I don't want any checks. I don't want any heart monitoring. And so she had me actually in labor in the birth process sign something that she wrote that basically was like, I'm declining all preventative. I don't know. And like, I won't sue you because I'm not having you do anything to me. God. <laughs> and at the Could time, I handled that like, earlier. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, but at the time I remember thinking she was so like, this was like liberation, you know, I was like, what an amazing midwife with so much integrity that like, she would even let me decline so distorted on so many layers it's such a good reminder of where a lot of people are at yeah like let me like you still (sighs) yeah as a grown woman you think oh they're they're like they're saying that I can say I don't want their hands in my body can you even believe that what an amazing person (laughs) and again it's not even like I was with her for a day it's like it was an hour or two before Noni was born I'm like how many times did these women just want to be putting I mean, I sound a little bit like a jerk, but it's like, there's like a weird obsession there. Is it really that big of a deal? Can you just not put your hands in women's bodies for like an hour or two? Turns out, turns out no. <laughs> no. <laughs> and that's all I wanted. But because I got that, I do think her birth, Noni's, was just so beautiful. Um, it just felt really magical and really peaceful. And it was a uh, like after she was born, I remember thinking that I could do it again. Whereas after, after lates, I remember thinking I will never do that again. That freight train going through your body. Yeah. I, I'm so glad I made it, but like, Lord. <laughs> and then with Bela, I was like, okay. And with Noni, I remember thinking, oh my God, like my heart just opened. I just felt like that. That's, and I don't know if it's because she was um, my first daughter. You know, I, I never had a desire for a certain sex, but it, it did feel really special to have a daughter um, yeah. after two boys. So, um, trying to think that was 2010 and I didn't have my fourth baby Annie who you I mean you know my girls um until uh 2016 uh, late 2016 and um Zach and I separated for a few years and and when we got back together I like I really wanted to have another baby and um her birth Anats was like the whole catalyst for where I am now and it's like it's how you it was through her that I understood when you go into this tunnel, you go all the way down to depression, anxiety, traumatic birth, whatever. And you allow yourself to like be with it. Like what, instead of like numbing out, drugging yourself. uh, I trauma bonded for like a month or two after her birth. And then I was like, wait, you know, but you could keep doing that if you weren't ready to go all the way down into the grief of it. You keep trauma bonding. It had to happen, Stockholm syndrome. So I hired the same midwife that I had with Noni. Mm. She was like my friend, but okay, before with Noni, she, she, was, um, she, she was not a mother yet. And so I think she came to birth, so I know she did with a lot less baggage. Mm. Um, and she had two babies since then, and one was born in a hospital. And I think the first one was a transfer, almost transfer. So she developed this in the medical midwife world, she was sort of known as being laid back when I first hired her. Six years later, um, she she like wore scrubs now and was like, yeah, 
and, 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 and there were no gloves with Noni, as far as I can remember. She was like gloved, friends with doctors, all about, you never know when anyone's going to need to transfer. You have to have great relationships with all that. It was like, um, and I knew I shouldn't hire her hmm. because almost every prenatal appointment, I would walk away feeling really awful about myself. Like, cause I would say things like, um, at this point I was, I knew more about, I, I, I think I'd found Indie Birth. I think I'd found Yolanda. 2016. I don't think, were you doing anything yet? You, was it 2017? Maybe you, yeah, you were like, right. I found you like in the midst of my trauma grief. Um, and that's when like all this stuff was literally starting to come online, you know? Um, but I, yeah, I told her like, I want you there, but I, I, I don't want anyone to touch my baby postpartum immediately postpartum. Like it's like, I was starting to know more about what I wanted as like a female animal. You know, um, I don't want my baby passed around. I don't want um, the sort of typical uh, metric that you do to measure a baby's health. I don't want that done for a few hours or even the next day. I just, I had this whole sense of what I wanted. And she would say things like, that's very romantic, but you never, you know, that's right. It became this very oh. fucked up, but because I'd had this really great experience with her and we ran in the same circle, um, I couldn't, I, you know, I couldn't untangle my past experience with the gut feelings that were like, don't do it. So we get later and later into my pregnancy and she's palpating. She's like, oh no, your baby's breach. Oh, now your baby's transverse. Oh, I started bleeding at 14 weeks. She's like, you have placenta previa. It was highly medicalized as far as a, and so I had all these ultrasounds. I, I don't, I'd usually only had like maybe one per pregnancy. Um, I was completely spinning out and I was like allowing it to happen. You know, I was put on bed rest, all this shit. Told yeah. not to have sex, told not to masturbate. Um, ah. No, no, really. And I think Yolanda just, I don't know if it was like in her group or publicly, she said something about that even as a kind of abuse sexually to like even yeah. talk to women about yes. not only their sex lives, but like, don't touch yourself. What the fuck? <laughs> like you're gonna kill your baby, right? If you have an orgasm. It's so, it's so insane. It's so stupid. It's really stupid. It's so stupid. Thank you. It's wow. so, so, so painfully stupid. Oh right. God. But I, I mean, like, it really is like, like if, you know, if, if we give them an inch, they take a mile, you know, like, you know, I did. Whole... I kept going. I kept totally. going. Oh my God. Oh my baby. Oh, I'm bleeding. Like I went with the drama, the, the mm. damsel archetype. Mm. I played it all. Oh, now my husband has to take off work. Cause I have to have bed rest and get really yeah, sad and whatever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like I just lay in my bed and I don't do anything now. Cause I'm bleeding. And, and you're certainly not laying around masturbating. <laughs> no. Yeah. Nothing fun. Just like eating tacos and like, Oh, also, this is where the spiritual kind of psychic, she told me, okay, so I had always had a lot of textbook experiences where I'd be nauseated, throw up, 12, 13 weeks hit, I wake up, I'm a new woman. So I remember throwing up a lot during an ox pregnancy in the beginning. And I said something again at a prenatal appointment offhand, like, whoo, can't wait till I hit that second trimester. And she was like, well, with all my babies, I threw up constantly and had hypermesis, gravid, whatever. Yeah. Um, so you might too. And then guess what happened? Ew. I threw up so much that I had like vitamin deficiencies. You put a spell on you. And I was like open. I was like, put all the spells on me. Like I want to be a sick person. No. <laughs> I mean, not consciously, 
Right. At least you can own this shit because I think this about so many women. I'm, I'm like, yes, you just want to be a sick person. You just want. Yeah, no, I wanted all the attention and the drama. Yeah. Pregnancy so hard, and I don't know why I was available for that. Maybe our past French. I really don't know. Right. I don't even know if the why like matters. It doesn't matter. But I was totally yeah. available for that, and I remember being like, "How uncanny!" She said that, and now it's all true. Mm-hmm. And like just thinking. I don't really believe in that spiritual stuff. What a coincidence. Mm-hmm. But like, I'm, I, I'm like allowing this woman into the psychic veil of my yeah. station and she's the like primary person speaking into my life and she's like, not right. She's not okay. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she's addicted to her own like victim consciousness. My body doesn't work. No one's bodies work. So I was like, oh yeah, you should like escort me down this path. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that just so, so perfectly articulates what so many midwives do. Like they just like vomit their own trauma all over. Yeah, and, and escort more women down this dark, broken, misogynistic path. Because you, they need to be a hero. And looking back now, because we were friends for a handful of years, now I can see it all. We'd go out to get margaritas and talk and a birth after birth story. I remember when I was pregnant with Anada, actually we were at a Mexican restaurant with a group of our friends and I kind of checked out because she was talking about another woman bleeding out and I have oh one God. phone to call 911 and one hand in her body. <gasps> but I couldn't see it then. I just thought she's a great midwife, but I was starting to be like, I don't want to hear these stories. And right. even if they were true, I could, it's like, I could at least see, this is really insensitive. Why are you, I'm like seven months pregnant here. Could oh you not? God. So then I, you know, I go, so I go, um, she starts talking to me about C-sections. You've had all these babies and pregnancies. Your uterus is like weak and big and floppy. That's why your baby is. Whoa. Yeah. You should get one of those. What are those things? The belt to hold your uterus. Cause it's lost all its strength. Like as if Whoa. I'd had 15 children, which that's fine. If you've had 15 children, I'd had three. So let's just calm down. <laughs> like that's crazy. And so yeah, she would palpate me and I got really obsessed and neurotic about that too. Like, oh no, now my baby's transverse. Now my baby's breached. Now my baby's like occipital, what, you know? And so she'd say, you need to call your parents and prepare for a C-section. Like your parents so they could watch my other three children. Oh my God. Yeah, because like, you know, babies can't come out this way. And I was like 36 weeks pregnant. Right. You still have like a whole nother month. Yeah, of the whole thing was like a spell. It was a whole... So I do, I give, I go into the birth process at like 41 weeks, present with waters releasing. Wait, so she's like set set up, set up your C-section and you're like, okay. Or you're like, no. Well, she meant like, I'll come to your house. And if your baby is still not in a good position, we're going to have to go. Prepare for it. She's saying. Yeah. Okay. So I was like, oh, my, everything's so fucked up, you know? And I was still vomiting. So I was like available for all of this. Um, but I, you know, I, I go, like I had an ultrasound at 40 weeks and a few days because she's yeah. like, we need to make sure your placenta is blah, blah, blah. We didn't have a lot of money then. Everything was out of pocket. I paid 250 for an ultrasound. And the tech is like, I can't see anything. Like you're like about to have a baby. How could I see your placenta? And I remember being so mad that I just like threw away this money. The whole thing was a shit show. And yeah. I totally own my part in it that I was just like a chicken with my head cut off. Like, you want me to go get an ultrasound when I'm like uh, huge and about to have, I'll do it. Like I'll do whatever. So um, I was really like codependent with her, you know? Mm-hmm. And she came to my house. Uh, the birth went 
just as most of my other births had, like there's you surf the waves, the rushes. Um, but I was really in my head. I didn't know why I couldn't get out of it. <laughs> we'll just put that there. <laughs> I wonder why. But I remember thinking, this doesn't feel right. Not in my body, but like I don't, I don't feel any of the good feelings. I feel just bad. Um, not even like pain, just like I feel cranky. I feel like everything's annoying me. I hate this. Instead of just where you are in the process. And um she came about literally 15 minutes before Anat was born. <clears throat> and Laith actually called because I couldn't, I was like, it was happening. Zach was with me. I was in the tub, uh, in my bedroom, just a blow up tub. And uh, Zach's like, I'll go call her. And I was like, no, you know, zoomed in on him. And so she, um, Laith called her, she and her assistant come in. And this is like a thing I spent years unpacking. She came in, I'm, and actually Sister Morningstar did her newborn. I mean, that was just this full circle thing for me. I met her naked in the bathroom one early morning and uh, at the festival. And Wait, I, you met Sister Morningstar yes. naked at the bathhouse at my- Last summer at, at your my, festival. At my land, okay. Yes. Wait, were you there. naked or was she naked? I was. <laughs> Don't want to throw any shade on her. <laughs> I'll own my nakedness. <laughs> but I wanted to tell her thank you because I'd heard her speak on your podcast while I was dealing with this trauma about newborn first breaths. And I told her that. And then she was like, will you come tell your story in a circle? And I'll ask Emily if I can do a teaching on newborn first breaths. And I couldn't believe. I was just like, life is so beautiful. Aww. And uh, and Annie was with me. And Aww. I was like going through the trauma of my birth story. And she was like, it's not your fault. And like, I was crying and Annie was just like eating pistachios next to me and drawing. And if you would have told me in 2016, after this fucked up birth, Whoa. fast forward to 2022, that I would like meet Sister Morningstar and get to Whoa. be held in a circle of women. I'm getting chills. I just thought when you like say yes to things, you know, like when you drive also, the kids for 20 hours. Yeah. I also like love slash hate that I had no idea that happened. <laughs> No, no, it was, well, you knew about the newborn first breaths, but it was like, yeah. I didn't want to be too fangirly, but early in the morning, we just started chatting and I just was like, thank you. Yeah. And she's like, I want to tell your story yeah. and I can teach about it. Cause that's, you know, one of her main passions. So yeah. anyhow, they come in, I'm pushing and I say, uh, something's wrong to my midwife because I felt like she was like being held up by like a bungee cord or something like she wouldn't it's like I push she'd go back in push didn't feel like normal crowning I don't even know that it matters what was happening the point is um she went in found like a double or triple nuclear cord I remember like holding onto her bra strap because it hurt so badly and she's like trying to move a knot around inside and I was felt like I was gonna throw up a knot comes out um totally white gray like not looking good she cuts the cord immediately we'll just take a pause for that. And then I remember like, I couldn't even, I was so shocked by everything happening. I could see my baby like floating in the water. And I remember saying, help me, someone help me. Like I couldn't even get her. It was like, I was frozen probably from all that in my body. And so then um, the midwife that I'd hired did mouth to mouth. And I remember just, it was, it became very trippy. Like she was calling time, time. And I think it went up to like four minutes. Um, and, you know, cause I requested the, the, whatever afterwards, I can't think of the word right now. Like she mailed it to me, whatever midwives have to keep the work for the state, the, the records, the records. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's it. 
Um, so yeah, so she showed up just in time to ruin your birth. Right. And I was, and um, what I talked about Sister Morningstar, she's like, she was just doing her job. Like you said, something's wrong asking her. Um, and she wasn't blaming me, but it was this really beautiful nuance of like, that's the kind of, it took me a few years to have to, to own my co-creation of it in all these different ways and not just spend all my energy demonizing someone that yeah. works for the state. Right. Cause it's like, you know, what are you, what are you going to get? Where women say something's wrong. And, but you're a traditional birth. Right. But it wouldn't it be like, oh, and you no, might say, no. you know, I don't know what you would say, but you might say, you might not say anything. You might say, what do you mean? You might not, you just stick your hand right in her yoni. Right. right. So, um, and Ouch. so that's what Sister Morningstar was saying in, in a much more eloquent way. It was just like, you, not like you asked for it, but like her like triggers, I don't mean trigger in the woke way, but like her trigger as a state midwife is something's wrong. Here we go. She's been excited about that. From the most you hired her perfectly said yeah so she was that's what she wanted um and I knew that somewhere I knew after I so you know Anat starts breathing and she has a really low apgar like one or whatever but you know what's interesting is I was never afraid because even though she wasn't really doing anything her heart it was very low I could see her like grimacing you know how babies do so I knew she was alive and that was like enough for me. Like, I think if I'd been alone and that happened, I really don't remember fear, except I remember the, the tension in the room. But I was looking at my baby when I finally got to hold her, she was grimacing. Then the midwife I hired took her, did mouth to mouth, all this other stuff, the board that they do. Oh, also like it wouldn't have likely happened had she not been abused upon emergence. And the cord cut. Because what, you know, yeah. yeah, exactly. And because what I, what I've come to think anyway, because we can only theorize at this point, yeah. is that she had a shorter cord multiple times wrapped around. And so what I was feeling was like some resistance, which would have worked itself out in the end. And that's what the cord yeah. is for. Right. So even course. if she'd come out limp, gray, white, and that's why Sister Morningstar's newborn um, first breaths, whole, her whole thing, I needed to unpack. It was important for me to know, could I have helped my baby? And, and when I heard her podcast that she did with you, where she just kind of mentioned newborn first breaths for a little bit and the importance of the halo around the mother, three feet, six feet, whatever it was. I mean, that was the first step in my healing. I was really broken for a long time. I was, I've never been on any pharmaceuticals. I was on Zoloft for almost two months. I was not after that birth. I was so messed up. Like I was like losing touch with reality. Also like my two week postpartum period, the midwife said, if you'd gone through with your unassisted birth, we would be at a funeral right now. Coming. <gasps> right. How dare she? And I was messed up at this point. Like Whoa. my eyes were bloodshot, not like a normal two week postpartum woman. Like I looked like a zombie. I wasn't eating. I had raging insomnia. Like Zach didn't know if he should call someone to like, he was afraid um, as a man, he was like, is my wife insane? My mom was afraid. My mom even asked me, are you going to hurt your children? Which felt so like, of course not. But it's like, people could see that I was not okay for a few months after the birth, like acutely not okay. Um, And then I remember thinking, I didn't have a transfer. I wasn't drugged. I didn't have a C-section. I got my home birth. Like I'm such a, well, I'm just too sensitive. You know what I mean? Ungrateful. Um, Right. 
Yeah. I didn't understand. I was like, shouldn't I have had just this, like the most awful, like Uh, general anesthesia C-section to be so fucked up like this? This is what I mean. The ways that we gaslight ourselves about our own trauma. It's just Mm -hmm. wild. So that went on, but that was like, that's what I mean by going into the dark, like all the way down. What do you really want? And then I was able to look back at the kind of signposts along the way for Anat's pregnancy. And I had little selfies, like not selfies, but a picture I might take with my tea with my Laura Shanley book and all these other beautiful books that I'd found along the way of women. Um, Free birth wasn't quite in the consciousness yet. I know Janine Parvati Baker came up with it, but it wasn't quite the, yeah. you know, it was like DIY or family or like, yeah, it, wasn't a term. it wasn't a term. And I'd collected I remember thinking so clearly about a year postpartum with a knot, how in the hell did I think I was on the road toward a free birth? Hmm. Like in a really good come to Jesus way with myself, like everything I did Hmm. was in full opposition to what I said I wanted and not in like a shame ride or like, but just like how disconnected we can be from reality. Every single thing, you know? There's a, um, a, a line that I work with in the tools that is, is, this is making me think of. It's um, we can see what we are committed to by looking at the results in our life. And it can be pretty gut punchy. I mean, it usually is, although it can be positive things too, but whatever is the result. So whatever is happening tracks, if we're willing to look track to how it reveals what we are committed to, to get that result. And like I said, sometimes it it can be wonderful things too, but usually when I've done it, it's to look at results that I'm not stoked on. And you're not ready to own. You're like, oh, these things are happening to me. And then you're like, wait a second. What are totally committed to that? Yeah. And I was committed to being in this super weird relationship with this midwife and having her and actually met her a year postpartum to debrief a knot's birth because I was still not sleeping. I was still, and she- broke it down for me, you know, what, I was still trauma bonded to her. Um, I remember texting her four or five days postpartum, thank God for badass, amazing midwives to save, you know, all this. Yeah. And then the two weeks postpartum, oh, we'd be at a funeral right now. Oh my God. You hadn't called me. So I had a lot of guilt, like, like that I was so selfish. I almost killed my baby, you know? Um, and but I knew it wasn't true, which is why I was on, I was like a detective. I was like, who's going to explain this to me? Googling everything. Why would did she come out limp? What could have happened? What? And then when I heard, what did the midwife do that you wouldn't have done better? I'd stick her hand up there and do all kinds of crazy stuff, cut the cord and do. Yeah. (laughs) And then I guess do mouth to mouth with a cut cord, but anyway. Right. It's just so objectively false. It's Mm -hmm. so objectively false, but it's really making me think about, you know, kind of like the dark spiritual context of this whole thing, because it's kind of interesting because this week in school, in the RBK school that I'm currently in, the week, this week is all about birth work as shamanism. And that's, that's the whole teachings of this week is dark, really wrapping, you know, beginning at least to, to begin the conversation of, um, the shamanism that is within birth attending and you can use it, you know, for, for good and you can use it for dark and, and ugh, there's just so much to say about that, but yeah, just like how, how dark magic. Dark. Yeah. For real. And I did, and I like made a sort of contract with her without actually being aware. And, and, and in a sense, I guess when we invite anyone to our birth, we're making at least a short-term contract with them spiritually to witness us or 
or sabotage or whatever role they want us to play if we're willing to play it, which I was willing to play the damsel so that she could be the hero and she could. Um, and actually I went, so I was, I was like a longtime turf and, uh, you know, I like, I never, it's like I found second wave literature after I gave birth to my first daughter in uh, 2011. And so when all the trans stuff was happening, I was just like, hopefully this won't be that big of a deal. Hopefully this will just breeze on over. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, this is so, this is really fucked up and weird. Um, all these bathrooms and like now all the AGPs, you know, I was just like, hopefully I remember talking to my mom about it and I was like, I don't want to lose all my friends and like say how I really feel, but I don't think any of my friends even know about this. So hopefully it just goes away. That was like 2000. What's AGP? Uh, Autogynephilia. Oh, okay. Men who are aroused by yeah. all those guys. Yeah. Who are like, I'm actually a woman. And it gets me off to think that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's, I, I, that used to be like niche, you know, now it's really popular. It's not niche. It's not niche. <laughs> now it's, now it's niche to say women give birth. Who knew in a decade? Who knew? A lot of radical feminists knew. I did not know. Yeah. I, did I just was know. like, hopefully I can just not talk about this too much. And all these clearly sick men will just go under. The radar. Cue, cue the literally right now cue the couple hundred people that are going to iTunes to leave the review on this <laughs> podcast that they can't believe that I had a turf on this podcast they the, that this hates literal violence just talk, yeah which it actually is relevant because I went to so I found Yolanda, I started, I've, I'd already found Indie Birth, but I'd read something that Marin had written like back in 2008 about, um, which I don't know if she still <clears throat> feel this, feels this way, but just about the role of, she's talking about the goddess Bridget and the role of a midwife is really not to really be there. And that she tried to stay 10 feet away from women giving birth and not in the photos. That's currently the- No, but I, I, I knew that was the first like essay I read just in the wild west of the oh. internet where I was like, I knew I wasn't crazy. A real midwife doesn't want to be in your photos. A real midwife doesn't want to touch your baby. A real midwife prays to the goddess Bridget. A real midwife, like I was, you know, I was like, I remember being in bed, laptop, like on my pillow, really messed up postpartum. And I found this little essay on the internet. And I I was just Okay, I love this too, because we just named for this year, we're doing all goddess themes at the festival. And we just named the bathhouse where you were naked and met Sister Morningstar, (laughs) Bridget's bathhouse. That's Gilda's. That's one of her middle names, by the way. Oh, so important to me. Yeah, I love, I love that. So, um, so you're getting vindicated. I'm getting. I'm, and then <clears throat> these things. It's just like then you're you're um, you're pregnant, right? With SUNY, or or maybe about to be. I don't know when you started your Instagram. Were you pregnant yet? I like I launched the podcast right when I conceived. Okay, so that's what I remember. So I found it's so funny looking back because you were obviously just so unfamiliar to me then. And then I found oh, well, here are these like women in Canada, they seem like they're kind of turfy, that's cool. And um, they're talking about autonomous birth, like it all started to come together um, in a way that like, I just didn't feel like I was finding books published in the seventies. And then all my crunchy home birth friends were like, Amy, moms and babies die. Do you mm. understand that? Almost like a religious, like, why do you have these books on your bookshelf? Whoa. All my like non-vaxxing, friends uh you know home birth snails yeah I was like I was you know too far out whatever like then there was shame it's like a religious almost like you want to kill your baby or yourself leave your children and I was like oh I guess I don't I didn't know like very religious 
So I found all this and I started, it's like, I started to know, like, I'm going to have another baby and I'm not, you know, like, I'm not, I, I still hadn't like unpacked what had happened. I didn't know if Anat would have died. I didn't know. And still who knows any of it, but I, I still didn't know. I was still healing, but in 2018, I went to Nova Scotia for a women's summit with Kate Barsava and um, Mara Panachi and uh, I don't think Yolanda was not there, but it was like, it was like kind of her community at the time. And there was only one other American there. Like I almost felt embarrassed. Like I'd worked so hard with my one-year-old Anat and um, Noni was seven. And I just, I like saved up my money. I flew from Virginia. We were in Virginia at the time. And I was just like, I have to be here. And, and, and most, it was mostly local women. So they were like, whoa, you just, you know, went through customs and all that. And I was like, yeah, I need this. I need this medicine. And I remember uh, there was a traditional midwife there who never had her shirt on the whole time and was like smoking cigarettes and was so amazing in this kind of archetypal way. I don't know her. Yeah. Women in that community know who I'm talking about. Sure. I remember one time, because you know how a lot of these uh, gatherings can almost get like just so spiritual. And at one point they were, I don't know. I don't know if she was just in a bad mood. I just liked her. She was like laying back in a yurt, listening to something and people were just going on. She was like, I don't know about y'all, but sometimes I eat Doritos and even yell at my husband. And I remember being like, yeah, sometimes. I, mean, I don't like Doritos, but like, I get what you're throwing down. Like I like French fries sometimes. So she just had this irreverent spirit and she was like taking a smoke break. And I just felt led to go talk to her about this kind of dark magic that we're talking about. And I told her, I said, uh, you know, I've never had a birth without a licensed midwife. She goes, that's a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> like, isn't that great? Just that's like my spirit animal. Yeah. She's like, man, like you're missing out. Almost like if you'd said, like, I never have, have had chocolate cake. You know, she's yeah. just like, Ooh, I don't know why you want to go through your life like that. Yeah, totally. Like, that is a bummer. Yeah. I just felt so validated. And I told her what happened. And I said, I was still like in a blaming mode. Like I I can't remember what I said exactly. Something like she it's like, it's, I was starting to get into the spiritual layers of it. I said something like she put a spell on my birth or she made it the way it was. Everything she said came true. And she said, no, you did by inviting her there. Mm -hmm. And that was like the medicine. I remember that moment. She wasn't going to do that with me. Oh, what a bad midwife. And she cursed you. She's like, you cursed your birth. Why'd you mm -hmm. invite her into it? Yeah. Not a, just in that same. Where are you in all of this? I was, I remember I didn't say anything. Like my feelings weren't hurt. I just had never Mm. tapped into my own power really yeah like oh so there is spell work happening <laughs> and I made this subconscious to me contract mm -hmm. to say you're going to escort me down this super dark broken path where you get to be the hero and I just get to be fucked up for a few years to prove mm -hmm. to prove something to yourself that you believe about yourself that you picked up along the way that I picked up mm -hmm. and it was like a dom situation I think now looking back because all of my births um, had been complication free. Like people would do that thing they do where they're like, your births were so easy, you know, like, and I was just this, I had like this vibrancy and I was like, I want to just only be the one to touch my baby. I think she had trauma and wanted mm -hmm. to like dominate you. Yeah. Dominate me yes. And say like, you're not going to be this vibrant, whether or not she knew yes. it. You're not going to be vibrant and happy and have four kids and be the only one to touch your baby because life is hard. You right. know, like it's very sucks. unlikely that she's like thinking this. No, she's not aware. Yeah. That's not, you know, likely to be how it is. Yeah. Well, but like she probably jealousy. thought on some degree that you were, you know, too lucky and needed too to lucky. be 
put in your place by the like dark gods of ritualistic yeah and 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 jealousy and trauma combo you know is is pretty dark shit yeah and I I was just this like naive damsel that was like oh I guess I am really sick like you said like I had a belief Mm -hmm. yeah I was so lucky with my three babies and now so 2018 that happens um I get pregnant accidentally um and um, I'd already had a miscarriage a long time ago and uh, it was like a six week and it, you know, I didn't go to anyone, it just happened. And this one actually, I feel like prepared me for free birth. It was a, maybe a 12, 13, 14 week. I don't remember exactly now. Um, and I was like very well-versed on your podcast at this point, this was 2018. And, and um, I, it was a really intense miscarriage. Like I bled and bled and bled. I, it went on for a few weeks um, and I, you know, I could see myself being tempted to like medicalize myself, but instead I just read things online where one was like, I passed out during a miscarriage and my husband gave me peanut butter and it was fine. And I was like, oh, okay. It was kind of, I guess now that I'm saying loud, touching the point of like the bleeder, the Mm -hmm. hemorrhage. And um, it was very much like a birth process. Like it would start up every night. I would be up all night. It'd take a break during the day. And it went off and on like that. And I actually did get blood work done, which I wouldn't do now, maybe a month after. And I was anemic and they were like, you could have a blood transfusion. And thank God I was like, I'll just eat liver. I remember I called my mom. She's like, we used to eat liver growing up. I only cooked it once. And I was like, I'll buy some pills, but (laughs) not to diss on liver. I know people love it. And I've mixed it with uh, ground beef for meatballs. But um, that whole thing was like the first time I'd ever been initiated into actually trusting my body, going through something that I couldn't see the end of. Anna not thinking oh my god I need a DNC and like I'm broke right like choosing not to dramatize it I didn't and I kept it really private because even the few people I did tell were like just ready to run with it and so then that also taught me a lot about the 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 privacy and just just like with birth no one knows anything about miscarriage you know like women don't know that weeks of bleeding is totally common you know, that's why these weird Reddit threads or whatever, I don't even know if it was Reddit, helped me. Cause it's like, and then two weeks later, I passed this huge clot and I thought I was done bleeding. I'm like, oh, there's no linear. And actually I was about to go get an ultrasound like week four. Zap came home from work to watch the kids. I remember I had jeans on and right when I was walking out the door into my jeans, all the remainder of the tissue came out. And I was like, see, so it like, so I didn't go. Do you know what I mean? But it's like, if you would have just waited, Mm-hmm. it's all gonna pass and like I knew just intuitively there's no more it, and um and then you know I was able to kind of nurture myself and I, a, a close friend of mine flew in and made me like this beautiful stew of sweet potatoes and like bone marrow I don't even know what and I um and actually when I was bleeding very heavily just laying in my bed one night I saw like a vision of a child playing in the woods and I knew that it was my baby so it's like even the sadness that often accompanies miscarriage to me it just felt like he or she doesn't want to come yet it's not the right time so then um I I didn't get a normal cycle back for like six months and that was just another like I tried to throw all these herbs at it and call these herbalist friends and I got diarrhea because I was like taking too many herbs poisoning myself (laughs) yeah with like seven different like female herbs and then 
and I remember, and I talked to a friend who's like, oh, I didn't get a cycle back for about six months. Not, not back, but it was just weird. And I don't know if they were anovulatory. So that was again, this moment of deepening into like, okay, well, maybe I'm going to spot, like, I don't need to go to like, I'm an old 35 year old now. And like, I'm infertile or this miscarriage really screwed me up. Just this, like, it's not time for me to get pregnant right now. And like, what if I'm just okay with what's happening? And that had never been, I was always like, I can fix everything in my body. And so I, I, um, I did conceive Gilda in January of 2019 and I joined the membership probably right around that time. Um, and she was intentionally conceived and I was so excited because I knew like no one's coming into this space. Like I'm, I'm just gonna give birth the way I want. I was just full of excitement, like no fever because I knew that it was my birthright, kind of like that midwife saying like, bum, what a bummer, you know? I was like, well, I'm doing this. Like, I'm just gonna, um, it was an intentional pregnancy. And, um, but shortly thereafter, we'd had some flooding in our house. There were hurricanes in Virginia on our farm. We had mold issues. Um, Zach and I were actually living apart because he wasn't working remotely. And I just was like really jumping the gun wanting to live on land. So he was living in DC in an apartment working and I was living with the kids in, Floyd out in the middle of nowhere in the mountains of Virginia, which I thought would be really fun. And it was really hard <laughs> to do that alone. Um, but so basically we figured out the extent of our mold stuff. We'd taken out like a $30,000 loan to fix it. It still wasn't fixed. And I remember one night um, and I was newly pregnant with Gilda and Zach was like, y'all gotta move back up and we need to sell this. Like we can't do this anymore. You know, like this isn't, and I, I was so relieved to hear him say that. Cause I was like, I wanted to be tough and like, keep my land and like, I can live alone until you work remotely. And just to hear him say, this is a little crazy. But that is where we had to get rid of almost everything we owned because of all the mold. And you know, I don't know exactly what I think about all that anymore, but that's just where I was. And we rented a house in West Virginia, which is like as close as we could afford at this point. Cause we're like paying mold stuff and trying to fix up this house and renting a house. So Zach commuted every day about four hours, like an hour and a half or two there and back. So I was kind of alone. He was tired and we just didn't have anything. And that's when I called you. I was about nine weeks pregnant and I was just like, I can't have this baby. Like my life just completely blew up. Um, yeah, I was like, I don't want to give birth alone in this little town that I don't like. And I don't know anybody and I don't have anything in my house. And I just felt really broken. Like, And so... I was like, I'm gonna have an abortion. And that's when you and I started talking. And um, I actually went, uh, yeah, I just felt like I can do this. Like I can just be really rational. I'll get pregnant another time. But I remember going to Planned Parenthood and um, they like they do the ultrasound or whatever. Cause I knew I was like 10 weeks to the day. And I think that's uh, their cutoff for um, the oral like abortion pills. And I remember the woman was like, whoa, you are 10 weeks to the day, whatever that means. But she was like, you really know your body. And I was like, okay, I do. I know how pregnant I am. And I, I just, but my mind was racing sitting there in that clinic. Like, I just was like, how am I supposed to know what the right thing is? Like, I couldn't find my inner voice. And uh, I just felt like I was going crazy. And they walked in to give me a Rogam shot. Um, I, I'm RH negative and whatever. And I remember I knew that I never wanted to have a Rogam shot, like because of my baby, like during pregnancy, I'd, I'd had them, I won't go into that, but I'd had them after birth. And I just had this full maternal protective instinct when they came. And then I knew like, oh, I, I want to keep, 
otherwise I wouldn't like I wasn't thinking about myself at that point I wasn't totally woken up to all of this uh the injection and the pharmaceuticals but I knew I didn't want my baby to be exposed to that in the womb and I remember this voice in my head said you can leave the way that you came you can just leave pregnant you can just get in your car and just figure this out and that's when um you and I you know I talked to you and I remember I was like well there is an office that Zach could transfer to in Austin. My mom had gotten really sick at this point and I wanted to be with her. I just felt so disenfranchised out in this little West Virginia town. I was like, what am I doing? And um, we have a lease. I remember I said, I'm just really stuck here. And you said, uh, you're not stuck, you're thinking stuck. And I was like, hmm. So I just chewed on that. Yeah. <clears throat> so I talked to Zach. And as I'll stuck as you want to be right and, right and yeah and he'd said um you know I was like could you please ask if you can transfer to Austin they have this big office there because I want to be with my family and I don't what is even happening here like I'm done with this part of the country and I don't want to be alone and there was this wilderness school that my older kids had gone to when they were young I'm like I want them to go to that wilderness school in Austin like I just want to feel like my life makes sense again mm -hmm. And I'm gonna have this baby, I'd already decided at this point. And so I was like allowing myself through our conversations, like I can dream about the pregnancy I wanna have and uh, people break leases. Of course, you know, our landlord didn't care. Yeah, he I love it. him the deposit or let him keep the deposit. I'm like, oh, we have the money to move because we'd gotten a tax return. It was just all working. So it was like, yeah, you're stuck as you wanna be. And I, I was like totally blissed out. I was just like, we're moving back to Austin. Um, we were living with my parents for a little while and we just like couldn't find a rent house. And what was so beautiful about my pregnancy with Gilda is I was really rooted in trusting life because the old me, which I still deal with from time to time is like hyper-vigilant managing. Okay, who's gonna rent to four, with four kids and three dogs and a cat and Austin's expensive. And we've, you know, it's been six weeks that we're living with my parents and nobody's, you know, and I just didn't, also, we were still having to sell this farm, which we were getting kind of poor paying for this farm. And I just didn't, I knew it was all going to work out. And uh, we got this great rent house that's like its own story. It's just everything during her pregnancy, it was like the carpet was being rolled out. You know, we, we had this really cute house on the green belt. I mean, it was just, I felt so at home there. We moved in. Um, I did this full moon spell with Noni to sell our land in Virginia because I'd realized that I was still like tethered. Um, so I did like a cord cutting spell and it was really difficult to do actually like to envision other people on it. I realized I was mm. spiritually like protecting the land. Like it was still mine. It was hard for me to look at the listing photos. Like I would get really emotional. And I was like, I gotta get, I gotta get that money. <laughs> We've gotta cut the cord here. And I remember, and Zach, I mean, now he's so, such a like believer in like the, the women's arts. But back then he's like a little, he's like a scientist, you know, he like taught science uh, for a long time or for a handful of years in high school. So he's like, I mean, do whatever you want, but like, whatever. So I did the spell with Noni. We got like three offers. Yeah. One of them was a cash offer. We, and where we'd seen nothing for like two or three months. Zach was like, all right. You know, but I knew that it was actually less about what I'm doing ritualistically. And like, I had a heart shift where I was like, this is not my land. So I'd start speaking about it as if it was someone else's land. Like I had to, um, so yeah, her pregnancy was just really fun. Like I, which is weird because my mom was dying mm. uh, and I was helping, I was walking her 
to her death. Um, but I had this internal peace. Um, I also bled. I, I remember feeling so clearly that all the lessons that, or some of the lessons anyway, that I that I had uh, been given during an ox pregnancy were like coming back up for me. Like I started spotting around 25 weeks. Mm. And I would actually start bleeding. And I knew it was because of stress. I would have like rushes, surges that if you time them, I remember I even, uh, I was, we were living with my parents when I, I was very stressed out. My dad was really angry. My mom was so sick. And I knew that's why I was having these sensations. And I went into the closet and had like two shots of whiskey, you know, just from reading spiritual midwifery. But I was like, if they found me, they'd think I'm like a closet alcoholic, but I didn't want to tell them. You were literally a closet alcoholic. Yeah. <laughs> they'd be like, Amy's been drinking this whole pregnancy, you know, like we need to get her help. I remember being in there and just being like, I'm just going to take two shots of whiskey, took a glass of raw milk upstairs, and I'm going to get in bed. I'm going to talk to my baby. If anyone sees me doing this, they're going to think that I'm like a closet drinker. <laughs> and so, but even that, it's like, I didn't, call, you know, I, I had just from being in the birth world, it's like I had numbers of midwives. And I remember so many times pulling up my phone when I was bleeding or having like early surges and being like, I could call. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to, you know what I mean? It was yeah, just, this I'm going to drink whiskey instead. I'm going to drink whiskey and get in. I was just like, there were all these opportunities that I could have played the drama game again by involving people that are part of that system. Mm -hmm. And it was really beautiful because as painful as it was at times to walk through this, I remember I would have little mantras, like I can always get outside help if I think I need it, mm -hmm. but today is not that day. Mm -hmm. I check in with my baby. Um, with bleeding, I'd be like, if, what, okay, what is it going to give me? Do, do I have placenta previa? I can always get an ultrasound if I want to, but I don't want to today. Just this very like non-dogmatic, do you want to go to the hospital? No, you always can. You, you can you, that's always available. And I really needed that sort of self-talk mm -hmm. um, with the different kind of complications coming up, which were not complications at all. And I took a bath with my baby every night at this beautiful bathtub in Austin and you know, I was just really connected to her and I didn't know her sex or, or anything like that. But, um, and I, I think I stopped talking to my brother and my dad, like the last six weeks of my pregnancy, not like they're toxic or terrible, but they were just like, what you're doing is so crazy. And I just like, I'm not going to answer the phone. And, um, I swam, I just lived on like bacon and eggs. I don't think I'd ever really nourished myself in that way. I would see photos of me where I had like a really obvious double chin. I just didn't even care. You know, it's like all the ways that I had put myself like in a straight jacket as a woman. I was like, I am this beautiful, bountiful goddess. Mm. I don't care if people think I look fat. I don't, I'm not weighing myself. I don't do blood pressure. I am, I just felt like I eat what I want to eat. I go hiking, I go swimming. If I bleed, I, I talk to my baby. Like it was amazing. I'd never been that like in the flow of life. And so um, I think around 41 weeks um, on a Saturday, we went to Kirby Lane and had like this huge breakfast. I just wanted to eat like a ton of carbs, <laughs> like a ton of food and um, like a big thing. And then, you know, I talked to my mom on the phone for a while. We went back to have an afternoon nap after just like going on a hike and eating a ton of pancakes. And I remember my waters released around four or 5 p.m. when, uh, when like the kids and we were kind of napping. I remember thinking like, oh, like I'm actually gonna have a baby. You know that moment where you're like, you can prepare all you want. And I'm like, oh, do I really, is this actually what I wanna do? Like, I'm actually just gonna have a free birth. And like, there's a new child coming into our family. And I remember looking at Zach and he kind of had the same look like, oh yeah, 
it's on. <laughs> like, gonna have a baby. And uh, this was early October, October 5th. Um, but then what ended up happening is my waters kept releasing and they were like kind of pea soup. They were like meconium, which was, and, and uh, as a precursor or whatever, like I'm not telling anyone what to do about their own bodies. But for me, I could feel clearly this was another like invitation into playing drama um, or not. And it felt like the dark night of the soul. I was flooded with all the shame that I'd had with Anat's birth. I'm gonna kill my baby. I care more about my experience. I mean, it was awful. I yeah. felt like I was going insane from the inside, just chattering, chattering voices that were not mine. Whoa. And I was like, so it was getting dark. Kids go to sleep, Zach goes to sleep. I'm like outside naked in our backyard, which is to the green belt, just swing. And there was, you know, I was like started catching it like in a mason jar. Um, and I was like, oh my God, it is really like green. It didn't smell or anything. And I could feel my baby kicking. And so I started just things I'd learned over the years. I started saying, how do you feel, Amy? And I was like, I feel good. I feel at peace. So that means my baby feels good. Do you know what I mean? Just like apart from the physical uh, world, like what's actually happening. And I had never really been pushed so much to do that. Um, and, and just like, you are your baby, you are your baby. And so like, it was actually, it was a little bit heart-wrenching and, and scary, but it's like I had to face all my demons. It was a dark night of the soul. I had to say, do I own this birth no matter what happens? Because I remember thinking, if something's wrong with my baby, no one will forgive me. Like, it, you know, it was like the sin, like the Eve, like I'm cursed. I will bear the weight of all of it. And I could feel it in the middle of the night. And I just paced the floor. Um, I read like some quick PDF of um, Marin with Indie Birth had done a little uh, podcast that I read the PDF real quick about meconium, which was like, sometimes it doesn't even mean anything. You know, just that sort of like evidence. And I remember thinking, okay, so it doesn't mean anything. I feel good. It's not like, I'm not like gushing blood. It doesn't smell like this is just sometimes babies just poop. I don't know why I'm not going to the hospital. Again, I had my phone, like, should I call these midwives that I know? And it was just took all this self-control. I drank a lot of water, coconut water, and just just swayed throughout the night and um, kind of like battled my demons of like, how much can you own your choice? Um, and I remember for a second, I went into like bratty mode where I was like, this just isn't fair. You know, like all my births have been so straightforward. And of course the one birth that I'd want to have a free birth and be meconium, you know, like, like I'm a victim of this, like the world life is out to get me. Like I said, I'm gonna have a free birth and now I won't get to, like there was this like bratty voice in my head. Why isn't it easier, you know? Um, and I remember the sun was coming up. It was the most beautiful, like October in Texas is so beautiful. It's like 75 degrees and the sun was coming up. And I remember still the meconium and like I had rags and I was like trying to hide them. It was like my shame. You know, <laughs> I didn't want anyone to see the meconium rags, oh whoever might come in. And I remember I was just like, this baby's coming. You know, if it had been like a really difficult or long labor, I may have considered something else, but it was like, it was the rhythm of the birth process. My baby was coming. And I remember thinking like, am I ready to have my baby? And I just had this fear because of Anat's birth and, and not just her birth, all the cultural conditioning, like, um, will my baby be alive? Because if she's not, it's my fault and no one will ever forgive me. And I remember looking in the mirror, it was probably, she was born around 9 a.m. This is probably 7.30 or 8 a.m. 
And I just looked at myself like a coach. And I was just like, you don't believe this. You do not believe women are to blame for it. Like, this is not what you believe. And I remember saying, this is your dream. Like I'd worked so hard to get here. And I said it to myself, this is your dream. Take it, like do it. And I'm like getting chills. And so, (laughs) you know, it was like, I had to have this like coach persona, just be like, you have worked for this. You are not throwing it away right now. So I was like, I could feel my baby kicking. So I'm like, I know she's alive. I know she's alive. I don't believe all this shit. And uh, I called my friend Stacy, who had synchronistically lived. Like we didn't know when we rented our house, she lived, gosh, a few blocks away. And I just wanted a woman there, not there, there. It was actually great because Anat was like, woo, going crazy because Anat woke up around 8.45. So Stacy gets there. She peeks her head in the bathroom where I'd set up like this nest. I wanted to catch my own baby. I wanted nobody to touch me. Like this was my birth. So I threw down pillows and comforters just in case she like fell on the tile, you know? And um, Stacy peeks her head in and I said, I don't think I'm going to do anymore. And she just like looked at me and she had tears in her eyes. She said, this is the path. This is the path. And I was like, okay. So I shut the door because I didn't know if I'd want her there. And then I realized, okay, I don't actually want her in the room with me. And then she fed a not breakfast because I'm not had been like screaming in between surges at me and holding my leg. Yeah. So I was like, this is why, because I'd woken Zach up around 8:30. They were like sleeping late. And then I knew when if I woke up Zach. So she was feeding them. I did want Zach with me. And I started like pacing like 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 a caged animal. Like I remember I turned the shower on, then I turned the bath on. Like, like, do I want, what do I want? And the baby's like coming out, you know? I'm like, do I, maybe the water. And uh, I turn it off and I remember, I like, I'm holding onto the bar and Zach actually has a picture of me that he took. Cause I didn't want any pictures, but he's really sweet and just took one that I didn't see till later. I'm holding onto the bar and leaning on it, like the towel bar. And I remember he was just in his mind thinking like, I really hope she doesn't rip that off the wall and hurt herself. But he, so he would like in between surges, just kind of hang on it himself. Cause he didn't want to disturb me. Yeah. My favorite part of the birth was actually her emergence. So we have like this full mirror and I put my arms around him and I feel her coming out like that freight train, just the way I describe it. And I'm like, get her, or I don't say her, I don't answer. I'm like, get my baby, get her. And Zach backs away from me because he knew. And I was like, please help me, help me. I, I can't, I can't. And he didn't say anything. He just like walked like six feet back. And he may have said something like, just put your hands down. Just, you can do it. And I was like, no, I can't. Like, I felt like I was freaking out. And he's like, like the way he tells it now, he's like, I was not touching that baby. I'm responsible for that. All I've talked about for years is receiving it. I'm not fucking touching that baby. And, and his, his love and presence and reverence and, and dignity in that. I will not take that away from you. No matter. And I was screaming at him like, I can't like a wild animal. And he just, and I love that. He's a really mm-hmm. stoic person. So he didn't say like, you can do it. He just moved his body away from yeah. me. Like, they're, like, you're not going to grab my arm. Like, you, you know, so I did it and I, I got this slippery little baby. She was screaming. Like it was just so healing from an odds birth. Like she was healthy. And I remember I, I didn't like mean to look in the mirror, but I picked her up and I could see myself and I just was like, my smile was so huge. I was just like, oh, like I did it. She's alive, <laughs> like she's healthy and I didn't do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. And there's no judgment or punishment or some like recompense to pay, you know, like it really felt like I was carrying like the sin of Eve on my shoulders just for being a woman. Really? Yeah. And I was like, look, 
our bodies work, good things happen. Us being in total sensual ecstatic bliss is not a sin. Like I didn't realize I still carried all this like coding from childhood mm-hmm. that my, my bliss and total fulfillment and being in my body would be at odds with like the moral good. Do you know what I mean? Just like a very Judeo-Christian or patriarchal religious stance is that like woman is other and therefore we have to disembody ourselves from this, the life-giving part of us, sexual, sensual, creative. And that felt like the dark, like I was like battling that. And then just, yeah, we walked into the bedroom and I, anyway, yeah, it was, I laid down with her. Oh, and another thing, um, the placenta didn't come for like an hour. And usually I, I birthed my placentas in like 10 minutes. And so I, I, I was nervous about it because I'd never given birth without the guardian. And Zach was so great. Like I felt, you know, when you move sometimes after birth or postpartum, you have like a gush of clots. And it's like, he could read my mind. I didn't do anything, but I must've done. And he goes, it's fine. It's just blood. It's fine. And I, it's just like, he was just there saying. And I would, I would argue that you, for the first time gave birth with a true guardian, having him there in that, mm-hmm. in that way. And in that space holding. Yeah. yeah. Cause it's like, he knew all the inside out parts of me. He knew like that I'm going to feel that gush and see the clots and things. Well, and that he didn't take anything away from you that he was your guardian he did he did like true true logistical and spiritual guardianship yeah and it's like he could almost psychically it's like he just said the very few things mm-hmm. just yeah what a good midwife would do he stayed yeah. away from me until I asked him to hold the baby and then I remember just um Stacy came in the room at this point and Zach said he felt like I was a queen like um someone would like someone was holding the baby it was still attached to the cord and I was waddling like they were like my I don't know if the word's like courtiers or something like just yeah 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 because I was like okay I'm gonna sit on the toilet to try to get the placenta out because I was just so in my head actually at this point like oh when's it gonna go wrong I don't even think I posted on the membership till she was like 48 hours old because I really had this trauma of like she's gonna die if I claim my joy too early and I'm sure so many women um Mm-hmm. you know so then anyway I just <laughs> this is funny I I wanted to save my placenta I thought I might eat it I still have it but I didn't want to eat it but um Zach was going to like do things to it for me and so it comes out into the toilet and then I immediately start peeing Zach's like don't pee and he's like well it's fine just, just pee on plus me. it's like covered in meconium <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and yeah. Uh, and she had meconium all over her and I you know then I was like oh my god did she aspirate did she this or that and so yeah it took me about two or three days to be like I would, I would kind of like listen to her breathing and I'd have Zach listen to it. And he was like, I was like, okay, we can go to the hospital if we need to. And he's like, Amy, we're not going to the hospital. You know, he was very much like your baby's nursing, your baby's kicking her legs around. Like, we're not, we're not going anywhere. Just very like holding that space. Like you're allowed. Yeah. Now saying it out loud, I wasn't allowing myself. I thought I would be punished as fucked up as that sounds. If I myself to say I did it life is amazing I trust life I trust my body I just was like waiting for the other shoe to drop I started being afraid my milk wouldn't come in I mean I nurse my babies till they're I mean Isabella you know would joke because I'd go spend the night at her house in Austin or her apartment and I would pump like with a two-year-old like these crazy there's no milk problems but I had it's just so interesting looking back almost seeing myself from a bird's eye view like without a state guardian Mm -hmm. does my milk work 
Like, will my breast produce milk? Will my baby die? Will, like I had so much indoctrination that just came off like shedding skin. It's mm-hmm. like my milk came and I had the most psychedelic postpartum. Zach had about four or five weeks off of work and he brought me like congee, that pudding every, or the, you know, the rice pudding every morning. He made me these turmeric lattes, like no coffee, like from scratch. I just stayed in bed. I bought some sundresses. I don't think I got out of bed till like maybe week seven. I don't, my, I let my aunt come and my mom around day five or six, but yeah, I didn't leave the house for four or five weeks. I just, I I'd had, because I, I, I had such a traumatic postpartum with a knot and, and I, um, yeah, I was like very vigilant. I just thought, oh, postpartum has to be really fucked up because I'd never been taken care of like that. Zach had always gone back to work within a day or two. And then I was just like, this is a psychedelic trip postpartum. And I was, I remember the trees look different. The first time we went to an Indian restaurant week five postpartum, I was in the back with my baby and just seeing the trees. And I'd actually never done mushrooms or anything at that point, but I was like, this is what, I mean, that's what's available to us as women. The yep. light shining in that like early fall light, watching my kids climb trees in the backyard, nursing my baby naked because I'd go outside naked. I was tripping. Like yeah, it's like it's like heightened heightened states of ecstasy. Right. And it Euphoria. went on. Yeah. I remember the first time I had a beer afterwards, it like brought me down. Maybe I was mm-hmm. two or three months postpartum and I was like, oh, I don't want alcohol. I was just anyway it was yeah, it's postpartum bliss right postpartum bliss which which yeah. I think you need to have a non-traumatic birth to yeah open the gates to that and then you need to be cared for after you know yeah yeah it is it is it is inherent to our physiology and we have to in our current culture really create a you know radical environment for it to I mean it's simple but also not like you said right yeah, it was, it's so simple, but it's like, I had to, um, you know, I had Name to all the layers of indoctrination that really came yeah. down to like woman hating and life hating. Mm-hmm. Like what happens if you're just a woman and you just let your body do whatever it's going to do? Yeah. It's a big deal. Weirdly. Weirdly. I, and I feel like I'm still reaping the lessons, like, mm-hmm. and they're not always the ones you want. Like you can't, once you have a free birth, like you can't settle for things that you would. Do you know, you know what I mean? <laughs> of course I do. You can't lie to yourself anymore when things don't feel good, when you're not living your life. It's and harder. It's harder. It's a yeah. Lot. It's you harder. can do it, but it hurts more. Yeah. You can. <laughs> All right. Love you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Emily. And that's it for today, my sisters. Check out everything we do, including one-on-one and group coaching. Learn about our private membership in-person retreats, and more on freebirthsociety.com. Our online courses are on freebirthsocietycourses.com, including our flagship course, The Complete Guide to Free Birth. Don't miss the Radical Birthkeeper School if you're ready to become the authentic midwife that women are searching for. Together we rise, and the revolution starts inside each of us. I'll leave you with our Free Birth Society theme song, Wild Woman by Aruba Red. I honor you for the wisdom you held, the ancient traditions of plant medicine and womb magic. I feel the spirit of the ancestors as I place my hands upon my belly. This sacred portal will be honored. 
eons upon light beams of survival withstanding the eradication of our power by design. I will not allow the separation of our young to be forced upon me. My sisters will no longer birth in captivity. The picket line redefined from burning our wild women to paralyzing us and drugging our babes. Strapped down in a clinical white bed, drying up the milk from our breasts, keep your needles. My family will never again be doomed to chase those dragons or your poison. We reject your fear. We choose love. Everything with intention. Death, ascension. I will fly and bring her back from the stars. Conscious consent.